Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Russell Westcott. He is in town from out west, and we took the opportunity to chat with him about real estate investing. He has been in this space for several decades at this point, and he has perspective on British Columbia and Alberta. We get into all of that, just getting someone else's viewpoint on the Canadian real estate market who is not from the greater Toronto Golden Horseshoe area is interesting enough. We get his years of perspective on the ups and downs of real estate. So if you're new to real estate investing or if you, even if you've been in 10 years, it's always interesting to get someone's perspective who's been through ups and downs. And when he was investing out West, you hear some of the down periods he went through and how he survived through that. And also you hear him talk about his ego and how he had to check himself and check his ego throughout his real estate investing career. So there's lots of gems of wisdom in here. We're really grateful that we got the opportunity to sit down and chat with Russell. And if you are listening to this and you still don't have the Your Life, Your Terms app on your phone, what the heck are you waiting for? You can go to the app store, wherever you're getting an apps these days. You search your life, your terms. You will find the app. You can throw it on your phone. If you're a Rockstar Inner Circle member, not only will you get a bunch of information that is free to everyone, but you can log in with the username and password that you have as a Rockstar Inner Circle member. And when you log in, you're getting a whole bunch of other information. One of the sections is the virtual classes section. So this is not the 20 some odd classes that Rockstar Inner Circle members get to get access to. This is another section of classes that we've put on over the years. All the videos for those sessions are now on the app. So as a Rockstar Inner Circle member, you get access to all the classes, of course, but we also do kind of bonus or extra classes that we release at different times. And those virtual classes are all available through the app now as well. You can log in using your username and login that you have as a Rockstar Inner Circle member and get access to those virtual classes on the app. So wherever you're getting your apps these days, search for your life, your terms. The app has been completely updated. It loads way faster now. It's much better than the previous version. And there you have it. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with my little brother, Nicholas Karadza, and Russell Westcott. And it's a pleasure to have Russell here because I think, Nick, we were just talking about uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I just feel like I've heard Russell in my ear at some point on a CD somewhere where he was talking about real estate. I couldn't even tell you exactly what specific the topic was, but I'll tell you the impression that you left on me was that you took this stuff very seriously and you had a real balanced viewpoint on what real estate was and wasn't. And I appreciated that about you because I think at the time, Nick and I were listening to a lot of like American uh, stuff and it was like, you know, you become a real estate millionaire. You know, you start on Friday by Monday, you're a real estate millionaire and stuff. And you have <laughs> no money, no work. Yeah, no, exactly. money, <laughs> no, yeah, no money, no work. It's easy. It's passive. So you kind of represented like, oh, there are some sensible people in here who have some opinions. So I kind of always appreciated that about you. So thank you for yeah, well, being you're that welcome. Way. You're welcome. Well, I, I got, we, we probably go back to the days of uh, cassette tapes, by the way, of that's probably where we first cut our teeth on a lot of those kind of things and, and that kind of stuff. And, and just you saying that, it's flashing me back to, I bought some cassette tape, yeah. tapes from Robert Allen yes. in a box for $5,000. The yes. box came to my porch. My, 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 my dear wife, thankfully, let me spend this money on this box. And I remember listening to all the tapes about real estate. I'm like, oh, I kind of like already know a lot of this stuff. And some of the stuff in Canada, I don't think applies. <laughs> but there was one tape that where he explained how to do public speaking. And to this day, it was some of the best tips I've ever received were from this box of real estate yep. tapes yep. that was this little subsection of cassette tapes. Yep. And I had to buy a, a, a like a, a boom box or whatever you call them from Zellers to play the cassette tapes. Cause my Honda Civic at the time, it didn't have power windows and it didn't have cassette, uh, cassette player. Yep. So I had to buy like a boom box. And is that what you call those? Boombox? Yep. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Man, are we ever dating ourselves? <laughs> Boomboxes, Zellers, yeah. Honda Civics, and then my friend, tapes. And I would play them, and then my friends would come in when we go for lunch, because I was back then I was working in tech. and You'd have to move the boombox? Yeah, and they're like, what are you listening to? I'm like, oh, never mind. You just don't, don't, don't worry about that kind of stuff. Or some I would tell, and they're just like, you're completely crazy. Like, yeah. you work in the tech industry, and you're talking to me about Hamilton cash flow? Like, have you lost your mind? 
you know? Yep. Anyway, so uh, how did, I don't know if I know the origin story for you. How mm. did you, um, we'll get to some of the other things I want to yep. talk to you about, but how did you stumble into real estate in such a major way in your life? Oh, well, thank you very much. For, first of all, guys, uh, thanks for having me. I'm uh, on, honored, honest to goodness. I've, I've watched and listened to your podcast for years and to be sitting here in the, the hollowed halls of the <laughs> oh, Rockstar geez. podcast with the, the electro voice 320s, the, you know, the audio technica headphones, that's man. Right, that's like right. That's yeah. right. Big going. time, big time. And, and I just want to also say to you guys as well as when you gave me that tour through the office, you can, every person, big, giant smile. Everybody was on fire. Everybody was oh, cool. friendly and happy. And it's just, you, you guys are creating a, a, an amazing culture here. You could easily feel uh, that within, within a 15 oh, wow. minute walk through here. So oh, cool. just wanted to acknowledge that. So yeah, thank lead, you. leadership starts at the thank top, you. but, you. and they inspire you at the same time. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sim simple story, uh, I guess like, but most, most people's stories, mine started at the turn of the century with real estate, fancy way of saying the year 2000, right? Um, I had one of those birthdays that started with, a, had a zero at the end of it. I was turning 30 and I was working a corporate job with Saputo as one of their national marketing managers. Yeah. And, you know, thought I had everything going on. I had the fast car, the Cobra SVT convertible, <laughs> you know, flying down the road, wind whipping through my fingertips, you know? Not and uh, hair. <laughs> I had no hair at that yeah. time too. <laughs> and what city are you in? I'm in Burnaby, British Columbia okay. at that time. And, um, and, and really wasn't, nothing was really going on. And then all of a sudden I was feeling one of those, well, what am I going to do? Like I'm 30, like what is, what is the next purpose that I want to do? And where does any 30 year old man or 30 year old young man go to for guidance? You go to Oprah. <laughs> and I was watching an episode of Oprah and I saw Robert Kiyosaki on it. And he talked about this concept called passive income and cash flow and all this kind of stuff. And so I picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I went to a conference, uh, the Canadian Rich Dad. I don't know if you ever heard of Darren Weeks way back in the day. I don't even know oh if he had, gosh, yeah. I don't even know if he had permission yeah, yeah. to use that name, to be honest. Uh, went to a conference, um, I kind of got the bug on the whole entrepreneur. At that time, I was living in a basement suite, renting with a roommate. I'd never bought a property in my life, and I grew up in a mobile home in Saskatchewan over the years. So dove headfirst into all the rich dad stuff and the real estate riches book by Dolph DeRuz really kind of stuck. Huh. And then at that time, I met Don Campbell. And I learned how to, from a cassette tape, I learned how to analyze properties. And was that rain already running at that rain time? Rain okay. running at that time. And uh, it would have been, I bought my first place in um, fall of 2002. So I took wow. a, a year and a half to kind of just educate and learn the process and bought my first place in Edmonton, Alberta. I was living in Vancouver, bought my first place in Edmonton in 2002 and, you know, just I've transacted more than a hundred places over the years and have written books, multiple co-authored of multiple books have, you know, delivered over 1200 live stage presentations over oh, the wow. years. And, and I just, I, I enjoy helping others. And I'm in a point now in my career where I'm starting to give back all the things that I've learned over the years to then help the next generation of people just coming into this business. Because I think there's some, some, like what you guys are providing, there's some uh, leadership that's required to help people out. There's a lot of people that are just five years or less in this business, and they have only seen one market condition, straight up and 0% interest. Yeah. And, buy, uh, buy anything uh, yeah. at any time and yeah. automatically it, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Or or you meet them at an event and they're sitting there, they're all de dejected and they're going, oh, it's been three months and I haven't made a hundred thousand dollars yet. Yeah. What is wrong with real estate? <laughs> it's over. Like honestly, the cycle should it should be three to five years to make a hundred thousand dollars. It shouldn't be you know in months. In it our be old years. offices, uh, so not where you're sitting here today, yeah. but in our old offices, some people would come in and tell us we didn't understand real estate. They're like, you don't understand how to make um, real estate money fast. Like yeah. you guys don't know how to, to do it the fast way. And over the years, we've always been kind of told that. And I think because of our own family story of almost losing everything in the 90s, we were like, yeah, we kind of like the way we're doing it right now. And we're just going to stick with this way. Yep. Slow, steady, boring. <laughs> but over the well, years, I'm sure you've had people throw jabs at you saying, oh. you know, you're not into the latest craze or you don't really know how to make money quick, Russell. Well, I, I took a, a path and I, I once I got the the 
the bug of real estate. I went for about a five-year stretch where I bought about a property a month for five years wow. straight. On average, not every and month. So you were raising the money. I was raising the capital, doing joint ventures, raising money. I was, you know, ego was getting out of control. I'm on stage, you know, I'm sharing everything. Here's what I'm buying here. Here's what I'm buying there. And it just, you know, and, and I, I, I joke and I say, it sounds very impressive, you know, a property it a does. month it for does. five years. Yeah. But it was the stupidest thing I could have ever done. Because I, of, I, because I grew, of the leverage? I grew way too fast. I didn't backfill it with the right infrastructure. I didn't have the right people in place. I bought bad properties that had bad tenants and bad areas. <laughs> and I'm still paying for it in some Jeez. in some respects. In some some cases, I was, you know, it was all about the, the thrill of the transaction and not the the long-term sustainable asset that will grow and support our family. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's and, and I'm on stage. I'm teaching this stuff, right? I, I, I you know, I, I see that. You know, when you go back and you reflect upon sure. the, the career yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. stuff like that, I, I 100% made all, a lot of those mistakes early on. And, and, and don't get me wrong. It's, I, I don't regret one thing I've done. Uh, most people actually are fear and don't do anything. I went the opposite totally. direction. I went too fast, too quick, too far. And then um, and then you have to just scale it back and you find out what, what your lane is and what you do best. Yeah, but it's interesting you can share that, I think, openly with people. Whereas a lot of people that even take that path, yep. they'll con- con- continue down. You know, they'll have a difficulty saying that maybe I should have done it a different mm-hmm. way. Because in real estate, I think often in, in the investing world, it's often, you know, well, how many properties do you have? And it's always about how many doors, how many properties. And to your point, you know, that's not necessarily, that's not the barometer that equals success or not. And it's different for, and there's not one way to do it. Like maybe for someone else, that is the best way to do it. And that would have been the best portfolio, but it's just not. And it's cool that you can sit there and kind of share that with people now versus being, you know, uh, there's people that just can't get past their own ego and they would have to say, well, it was right. It was right. And here's why it was right. And and they wouldn't share kind of like just openly about it. Like, Hey, maybe I should have kind of done things, things differently. Well, that's, uh, you know, at the time, and that's one of the things I do with a lot of my coaching clients is when they're on fire, I don't, I get out of their way and let them keep going. But we have a, every time they transact a property, we, we do a recap and we do a circle back and we just say, is there something you could change? Something you can do different. We just really check in before they get their next one. Cause that's what I did not mm-hmm. do at that time. I was just on to the next mm-hmm. one. I wasn't checking in to just see if it was working. What was, I, I lowered my standards at that time. Right. And I didn't know what my standards were. I was figuring it out on the go sure. and, uh, you're still new in the business. What was the, uh, Usually in that kind of story. So thanks for sharing yeah. that as Nick's saying. And what, what was the low point? Like, what was the moment where you were like, hmm, you know, usually in those kinds of situations, you hit that point. Yeah, there's like a, a point of reflection. Yeah, what, was revelation. It, what was it for you? Well, for, for me, it was, um, well, a, a market downturn. Mm. So was l- running really fast. The market was taking care of everything for us. Mm-hmm. It was going up in some mar- in some years it was going up 74% year over year. Oh, wow. It was it was fixing all the issues. That was Alberta? This was Alberta, Alberta yeah. in remember? in 2004, 2005, oh, so That was like the oil runs. Yeah. That was that era. Yeah. Remember those times? Yes. It was it was, it was crazy. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I remember people, some of our tenants leaving Hamilton to go work yeah. in uh, Alberta. They're like screw this place. Yeah. People were <laughs> coming into events and they were, you know, it was really high. Eagles were really high. And the best analogy I used was the market went to Vegas and they went on a, it went on a bender and then the bender ended and you have to come back home with a hangover and you got to get back to work. Right. So the time for me, and I can almost remember it. I think it was, it was either 2007, I think it was 2008, August, 2008. And the headline in the paper said the real estate market finally starts cooling off. And that was 2008. And in some cases, the market has not recovered since I bought properties at that time that are still not the price I paid for them 15 years later. Wow. Right. And so, so to answer your question, what was the moment was the moment when the market turned, the tide went out, some tenants left and my rents were at 1400 and I had to rent them for a thousand in order to keep somebody in. And then when the cash flow got extremely tight, you don't have a lot of money to throw at the properties in between tenancies. It gets a little bit more run down. You then take a pet the next time it gets a little bit more run down and it's a slippery slope, right? It's a really slippery slope where it, that's where I'm very mindful of pauses in marketplace. As long as there's still some fundamentals to backstop it before it starts taking off again, as 
that I'm just very mindful. And I started advising some of my clients in February of 2021 to start being paying attention to Ontario and British Columbia. It might be time to pull some chips off the table in Ontario and BC. Get rid of your dogs. You're going to have no problem. Like your dog properties, not your woof woof yeah. dog. Get rid of your <laughs> and dog. And every real estate yeah. investor has a dog property or two yeah. that just drives you up the wall. And and the analogy I use is there's in everybody's portfolio, there's 20% of your portfolio is 80% of the pain in the ass. And, and what is your 20% that, and that was a perfect time to start maybe fixing them up, getting some tenants out, maybe getting tenants up, ra raising rents, and then selling it at that time. And then pull your chips off the table there and then move it into back to the Alberta marketplace. Because I was seeing the fundamentals start to take off again in Alberta at that time. So Wow. So, okay. So, so much to ask you there. Yeah. I guess, what would you now... Um, I'm just curious, uh, first, the fundamentals back in Alberta, you were just seeing what population trend change, some jobs start opening up, you, that kind of stuff are you referring to? Well, I'm going to steal a quote from our, our good friend, Ben Rabideau, yeah. who wonderful, wonderful resources. Yeah. Sometimes the cure for low prices is low prices. Yeah, got it. Um, the price had been flat for a long time. It had been low enough. It's affordable enough that people were starting to move back. Mm -hmm. And you're starting to see in other markets across the country, you can buy an $800,000 townhome in where I live out in Coquitlam or Oakville. I don't know what the prices are exactly out here, but you're paying $800,000. Or you can, take, you can buy an $800,000 triplex or fourplex brand new construction in Edmonton and get like $9,000 rent out of it. Mm -hmm. Got right. It. So, so the fundamentals were just starting to really starting to line up. I was starting to see the population growth, the Alberta government, um, whether you align with their philosophy or not, was just getting extremely aggressive marketing come to Alberta. And that's something I said they should have been doing for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's, you know, there's no land transfer taxes. There's no PST. There's, they pay a buck 40 for a liter of gasoline. Liquor taxes are low. If you rented a hotel room, you're paying like 80 bucks a night. It's just, it's just, they, yeah, just it's just advertise Russell's an advertising. Yeah. I think the tourism board of Alberta yeah. <laughs> and the investment council of Alberta has sent Russell here yeah. on some. Well, like, we saw when COVID hit, like they, because of cost of living, or I mean, not just because of that, but one of yeah. the reasons then flexibility, Alberta was a huge benefactor. Yeah of that and then also on the east coast yep. right a lot east of coast people too. moved out to yep. the atlantic uh, atlantic provinces as well um and they're still working for toronto companies i myself like our family knows about four different people that are in that situation they come back once a month for a few days and, and yep. that's it and and you've seen it with the real estate prices and the demand in, in primarily in those two areas in, in canada you know whereas vancouver and toronto have taken more of a more of a hit um, because of where, where things were, they were ridiculous. Well, I sit there and I go, you know, we have three adult children, you know, 20, 24, 22, and 19, and yeah. all three still live at home. And, and uh, you know, we don't ever want them to leave eventually. Sure. But, but yeah. <laughs> so we sit there and go, and our two oldest, they want to leave. They want to move out. They work locally. My son makes works for the city of Coquitlam, makes $30 an hour. And he sits there and he goes, arguably, he has down payment for a property and he's going well how am i going to afford a mortgage payment on a eight hundred thousand dollar townhouse and they're going we just can't afford it on a 30 dollar an hour job right um I, i'm selling a place in edmonton a nice 20 unit half duplex three bedroom two and a half bath for two hundred nine thousand dollars mm -hmm. right so you can buy f four of those <laughs> so distorted right yeah yeah so I've encouraged them to take a look, but at the same time as, you know, you have to do what you have to do in order to, to make it go. I still see lots of good fundamentals in British Columbia and Ontario. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not down on those markets. Um, I just saw that the prices outstripped the underlying fundamentals sure. yeah. and it went too fast, too far, and it needed to take a breather. It needed to take a breath and it's taken a big one right now. Yeah. What, what, um, oh, sorry, Nick. No, I was going to say, yeah, just like how that's what happened in Alberta, right? Yep. right? Because they had that m massive run. Mm -hmm. Anytime you out, out, outpace the kind of like long term trends, provided the fundamentals are still there, you yep. know, if immigration numbers don't completely change or whatever, yeah, it has, it had to come back to kind of reality. We were yep. getting 50% increases. You know, oh my year over year. Like this, it's yep. just well, in Christmas, I remember uh, everyone kind of had a break at Christmas. In January, a bunch of people came back into this office. And I remember it was Andrew asking me, he's like, Tom, I'm just running the numbers here. Have prices really gone up 30% since the beginning of December? <laughs> that was like yeah, 30 days. In some cases. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. and we're looking at the numbers. We're like, 
kind of looks like they have. And, yeah. we're, and we're, that's when we were basically screaming at the Bank of Canada back then. They, yeah. they didn't raise rates in January. We yeah. were literally screaming like, yeah. raise the freaking rates. And yeah. they waited until February and then they kind of lingered. And now they're operating. You know, you just get these market distortions that are so wild. Anyway, that's a different yeah. topic. But Russell, so for someone that's going through this now, what can they learn from your experience? Something we're sharing a lot with people, even on our own team, is that liquidity matters. You can have the best assets in the yep. world, but if you can't make that next mortgage payment, did you ever get to a liquidity problem when you what, with what you went through, or were you able to make always make the mortgage payments and hang on to everything? Uh, yes and no. So the, the simple answer is yes. The no answer is I should I I should have divested of some really bad properties at the time, and I so was, waited too long. I waited too long. Mm. I should have divested of some properties at that time and and moved on with a few of them, some of them, and then you know sometimes the market will not take care of itself right very quickly. Sometimes it takes a long time, and 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 maybe the best way I'm going to answer that is maybe a story out of a, a client I'm working with out out this way. They bought a place up in. And in Alliston, Ontario, and they've done very well over the last few years. Then, you know, let's call it a, they've burned up $100,000 per year since they've owned it. And they sit there and they look at it and they go, now, geez, our, our rents are $600 below market. Yeah. We can't raise them. <laughs> we get two and a half percent next next year, or or is it two out here? Oh, it's every year is different. It, every, might be yeah. point, it might be 0. 0.8. Yeah. You never know, Russell. And they're oh, sitting there going, well, and but we can't, we can't do anything to the property by adding another unit or anything like that. Um, arguably speaking, they should have sold it about six months ago, but they put it up on the market now and they got a couple offers. They priced it reasonable. They made good money from it. They're taking the money from that. They're paying off their principal residence mortgage. They're saving a couple thousand bucks a month in after-tax mortgage payments for their principal residence. And then they have access to all that capital and then they're redeploying it into a new market that has a greater chance of cash flow. And also that probably at a beginning of its market cycle. Right. Cool. So, so to succinctly answer your question is what I advise people to do is I use the formula, I call it the ICE formula, up the income, down the cost, extend the amortizations or the up, down, sideways plan. Mm -hmm. And so I've outlined a whole pile of just ways of how do you maximize your income from your properties? How do you cut your cost to the bone in some cases? And how do you strategically position your mortgages? Do you need to get into some interest only financing? Do you need to get Get into, you know, buying down some debt, pay off some mortgages with some capital to get free up some cash flow, and and it's not a it's not a swear word to have free and clear properties. Like honest to goodness, I tell That's people. Nick says that all the time. Yeah. People think that they look like I have four heads when I tell them, and I actually build a model out for people. I call it the three, two, one free program: buy three, sell two, keep one, free and clear. Three, two, one, free. So if you need a hundred thousand dollars of of passive income through your rental portfolio, you need to buy about nine places with the suite, hold them over a course of time, let's call it 10 to 15 years, sell off six, keep three free and clear, and you will have about a hundred thousand dollar year income stream from that. And that's just that nice pace that you know slow and steady and then when you've got that people say well then i'll just go borrow against that no 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 you take those three properties you build a moat around it you asset with your life it. you asset protect it and then you protect you know who you protect it from the most you yeah. from borrowing against it and you have that golden goose that just keeps laying the hundred thousand dollars a year and then what do you do at that time you go build another portfolio you do something else right but when you go to the the real estate meetups yep. and people ask you how many properties you have and you if only you say, say one three, or if you say like you're not good yeah god right? forbid you say one oh yeah. like oh really oh, only and, and, one and i think <laughs> russell honestly that's what's kept um that's i think when we were starting this business we we always believe in what you're yep. saying right there and we I, again i think it's because of what our family went through in the yep. early 90s and when people would ask us these questions, I think we always felt a little bit like, oh, you're kind of judging us based on the doors or properties that we own instead of how much leverage did you didn't ask me? Like, I, I noticed that you didn't ask me how much leverage I have yep. and how much ca monthly cash flow I have in my yep. pocket. And it made us feel like we were an island in, to ourselves a little bit. And that's why we just kind of put our, our blinders on and built this business. We're like, 
I don't know if we fit anywhere. Yeah. Like we're, we, we were thinking at that time, this is the 2000s. We were like really different a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And I'm sure there were other people. I, I just mean it didn't. And we were using, le- I mean, look, we used leverage. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it's, well, that's, that's I, part I, of that phase that you were in of acquisition. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 To it be just, clear. We didn't feel like we always, like every time we were able to refinance a property to access the capital, it wasn't like, let's do it. Yeah. It's like, well, you know what? You know, and we were fortunate too, because we had income streams as like, you know, multiple different income stream so you know there wasn't that need there as well but we're like well let's let's leave it there and that's there for a rainy day and if a, if a really good opportunity comes up well then we'll do it but yep. it wasn't just you know like refinancing thing for the sake of doing it all the time right yep but uh, russell I'm, I'm i'm curious um a couple of things on what you just said there first is what is one of your favorite ways to control expenses uh, you probably have one thing or two things that come to mind or something when you talk to people and the second question i have after that question is when why did you, do you think and you reflect back, did you not sell the properties sooner? You know, you said you held on yep. to some properties. Yep. What was it? Was that just, well, what, what, what was it? Yeah, if you I'll, reflect I'll, back? I'll answer the second one okay. first. Is, and really upon self-reflection, it was a, an insecurity to admit that something didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and I 100%, I am open and authentic about telling that, that I would damn it, I'm going to make this work. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to make this work. Damn it, I teach this stuff. I'm going to beat it, right? But it was just an insecurity to to tell people that this asset that we bought did not perform what we thought. The market turned. This is what it is. Unfortunately, I've done everything I can for the last seven years. Wow. It's time to sell. But I had an insecurity of being able to have that conversation and insecurity. And maybe I wasn't tough enough. I, I didn't have the, you know, I didn't have the courage enough to have that difficult conversation. And uh, because I'm a people pleaser, right? Sometimes you want to sit there and you always want everything to go well. And I got these people into it and damn it, I'm going to just keep working until it, it works itself out. And that really was what it came down to, as opposed to just sitting there going, here's what it is. Here's the, the, the truth about it. If we want to keep going, it's going to cost more money to to feed it. If you're not willing to do that, then we need to sell it. As I'm not willing to do it because I'm putting an awful lot of time into it. I put a lot of capital into it. It's going to cost more money to keep hanging on to it. It's going to cost a lot more time. And uh, I'm recommending we we sell this and move on to something else. So is that what you would tell anyone today who might be a little bit over leveraged if they just can't, if they're putting more money into it? Yep. Then they're I, I would out? be, what, just be honest, just be brutally honest about it. And, and especially if you have conversations with people that with money partners and things like that, just put it on the table and don't, you know, it's not a sign of failure if you have to go back to an investor to, to potentially that they have to re-up with some more capital and things like that. It's, it's not a sign of failure. But if nobody's willing to do that, it's you have to move, to move on. It's time to move on, right? It's, I guess out in the, what do they call it out? Uh, either got a, a, cut, a fish or cut bait is a, an Atlantic yeah, term, yeah. right? So, okay, so, we so that's one. And then so the cost cutting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not just any one thing. It's, it's, it's everything. And, and the main thing I tell people is to start paying attention because during really good times, we actually get a little bit complacent. You know, the $80, you know, $180 furnace filter change bill that you had at the property manager was in there or, or uh, things like that. It just, they just start creeping in, the costs start creeping in. So then you just have to just start paying attention because what you measure, you know, you improve. So you get into each and every one of them. And then I literally tell people go line by line. Like literally your property, like let's take property tax, for example, right? Are you paying attention to what your valuations were this July of your properties? Because next year when the property valuations come out and you get your new tax assessment, check your valuations, you might be, it might be way out of whack. It might be worth you to go fight that and get your property tax down. Yeah, right. Um, negotiating with contractors, negotiating again with property managers. Like I had a conversation sitting there with my property manager and I say, look, these things, <laughs> the water's coming in on the boat here. I can't keep shoving, getting it out. I want to keep working with you. I truly want to keep working with you, but I can't keep afford to paying this. Um, is there something we can do? And they're going, Russ, you've done very well. You've helped us extremely. You've built our business. You've probably referred 15% of our clientele. Um, we'll give you six months free property management. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right during the time. So just, just going to each of the service providers every line by line on your on your expenses and is there something you can do about it after um you 
when you went through that and you realized that maybe you used too much leverage at that time, we have a, uh, one of many other friends actually, but, but one of the friends coming to mind in, in, uh, in the U S that went through that as well. And then after they, they went through and they kind of had to get rid of a bunch of their properties. Um, you know, they, they had, they weren't admittedly, they weren't investing for cash flow at all at that time. They were just really just investing for appreciation. Get 0% down, buy a house. It goes up hundred yeah. grand or 50 grand. Yeah. And- yeah. Yeah. So, but they've now gone almost to the extreme, to the other way where they don't use leverage for <laughs> anything and they're investing kind of really, you know, small, small properties there. And they're just, they don't want to use any leverage. They're yeah. just going the exact opposite. I'm curious where you're at now. And because you mentioned something before too, just well at acquisition phase, yeah. like us too, when we were younger, we're like, well, yeah, I mean, can I give you $5 and give me a property? Like, you know, I'll leverage whatever you want. So I'm just curious as you've gone through that, that stage and as well as your stages of life, where do you sit with that yeah. type of stuff now? Where I sit with that now is, um, so I go back to, so the mistakes I made was I bought a lot of properties in bad areas with bad tenant profiles and just kind of ran, didn't just ran numbers, didn't really kind of take that, take um, the next yeah, step yeah. forward. So, so the, the two models that I do now is I buy new, like I, we build new purpose built rental properties is what we do. And more importantly is Mul- we, sorry, multi, like, multi-residential, multi okay. yeah. House with suites, you call them duplexes out here, side by side, side by sides with suites, and then front and backs. And you okay, can just, so it's like Lego. Yeah. <laughs> two to eight units, typically something It's typically like that. two to 16. To 16, okay. Yeah, yeah, and depending on the land positions and the lots and gotcha. stuff yep. like that. And it's just, and the, but the main reason I do that now is I start with the tenant. I start with the customer. And I, I, I've identified the customer that I want to have in my rental properties. I start with the ideal tenant profile, and then I match that tenant to the area to the right property, as opposed to buying cheap in bad areas and taking whatever tenant I can get. And then lo and behold, I have gunfire, I have squatters, I have, you know, you name it, have gone through it. So the, the, the simplest answer is I've just started buying uh, quality properties and quality areas and I started with a good tenant profile and and they do need to cash flow on uh, at the beginning um, not a lot typically because a new construction sure. home you have expense there, and there's yeah, not a lot of time yeah. involved with it but over time um, the rents go up quite a bit on a newer place and uh, the expenses are extremely low and where we are in our properties in Alberta we're you know I think we're still under rented, like significantly under rented. And I just took on some of them 17, 20% rental increases in the last year. Right? Uh, there's so so much that you shared there. Well, why in Alberta do you think you're under rented there? You just think that it has a more of an upside, the economy, everything yeah. is going right now for Alberta? Well, two things. So number one is uh, I, I go back to the to the tenant. What can they afford to pay? And And by and large, people in Alberta make more money. They keep more money because of the tax implications. So their rent to um, income ratios are in line. But I mainly just look at it from a standpoint as, and I'll take Edmonton and Hamilton as an example. I would say fairly similar kind of cities. One has about half a million, one's a million plus. Definitely right? offended one of them. But right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Someone got pissed off yeah, right I there. Think, but, I think but, Edmonton. No, we kind of agree. Yeah. We kind of yeah. agree. We kind of yeah. agree. But yeah, you pissed off someone. Uh, yeah. But, 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 one has Connor McDavid, just for the record. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, I got a cool analogy I'd like to share with you about the, the Canadian economy, when, but we'll talk okay. about that right. later. Um, so, so here's the thing, and I was just chatting with a, a guy yesterday, and he was telling me that and I was at his place. It was a 1950s duplex, and they're getting 38 to $4,200 for all, all in with everything. Um, for a brand new place in Edmonton, we're pushing maybe 32 hmm. Like brand new. Like I'm talking new car smell yeah, wow. when they move in. And I sit there and I go, There's, there should not be a six to $800 difference between Hamilton and Edmonton at this time, yeah. right? And, and one of the reasons being is, we can go on a different tangent here, but um, rent control in Ontario is every rent control market I've ever been into, distorts the rents are the, ridiculous. It distorts the market. It, it 100% doesn't. And I don't know why these tenant advocacy groups they want don't rent it. control. They, they don't, don't understand economics, Russell. They by just putting rent control in, you've actually hamstrung the tenants. In a free market economy like Alberta, rents are lower and you have to compete with the other uh, other players in the market. I think basic economics should be taught in grade school and throughout yeah. high school because you're right, we get these advocacy groups that just don't understand how a free market yeah. works. So then when they layer in regulations on a market, the distortions that come from those regulations 
they don't understand what's happening because they don't understand the free market. You kind of have to understand a basic understanding of a free market yep. and then maybe layering a regulation or two. Yep. But I feel like so many people don't understand the free market yep. and then just start throwing in regulations everywhere yep. and they're, you get a Frankenstein economy. Or, or maybe even better would be instead of a regulation, maybe an over an oversight, like sure. an overseer. Exactly. Like the, the landlord and tenant tribunal. On, or, on your point earlier yeah. though, something you said that's really interesting that you're building this stuff new. Um, we, we've kind of, we weren't in the position to build new, definitely not when we started, but what we figured is like, we'll play in the starter home market category, but we'll position ourselves in the higher end of that band. Yep. And that got us the tenant that we wanted. Yep. So like we would play in starter home market because that was very liquid. Yep. We always were thinking worst case, what if we need to sell? Yep. So we're like, okay, that's a very liquid piece of the real estate market, but let's play in the higher segment of it because it gets us the, the tenant that we want, just like you're yep. talking about. So that's kind of the way we, we, we did that. And then something else that you said is really interesting about like getting the kinds of tenants that you want. We had a lawyer once approach us with a property and the numbers looked amazing. Nick, you're going to know the story I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning. And they're like, we looked at the address yep. and, uh, and we said, no, my gosh, like you definitely don't want to buy that property. Like you want good homes in good areas. Yep. You, and he, but the numbers were amazing. Yep. You know, and many real estate investors, like everyone's done at some point, the numbers look good and you buy like you were, we've all kind of. <laughs> we did, we did yeah, that over we, for a property. Yeah, we've like, done, the numbers look numbers great. Numbers look good. Wait a second. We have to renovate this whole thing. Um, <laughs> well, um, but we were like, don't get the, you're, you're going to get people with no bank accounts. You're going to get cash rent. You're going to have to be chasing people. It's going to be slightly even dangerous. Do not buy this property. And then he looked at us. He goes, well, what if I told you I had the types of people who were okay collecting rent like that. And I just remember thinking, oh gosh. Okay, listen, I don't know what exactly you're alluding to here, but like if you got the right people to collect rent in that kind of situation, I don't know, have at it. What do you want me to tell you? Yeah. you know? So uh, anyway, um, I, I guess the next thing I wanted to ask Russell is when you see people now, it, right across Canada with some kind of fear or panic in their eyes about the real estate market. What do you tell them on how, like what kind of context do you build based on your past experience? Yeah. How, how do you help them think about today or what comes next? How do you approach that? Well, it, and so I'll back it up with a couple stories. So story one, I was out at some networking events this past weekend and everybody, you know, wants to come up and it's been, I, I haven't set foot on an, in an airport in three years exactly. And oh, wow. I was just out of practice. I was like so awkward. I go, uh, uh, hi. Yeah, you know, yeah, just, yeah. Like, what do you do? Right? Welcome back to the real world. Yeah. But people would, would get to a point and they would corner me and they say, Russell, when is the interest rates going to go down? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going, um, I don't know. And they go, what do you mean you don't know? Russell, give me a date. And like to a point where they were aggressively in my face. And I just said, okay, October 23rd, 2023. <laughs> is that, well, and they go, really? Why? And I go, I have no idea. I go, so, so, but, but here's the thing is in some cases, the interest rate is relevant, but it's not relevant. Okay. Uh, and here's what I mean is, um, let's look at it from two sides. And then the same person then came up and said, well then, but my, my expenses are going up by $100,000 on my interest and all this kind of stuff. And I go, geez, that, that's not good. Um, what are your rents going up? And they go, what do you mean? I go, so you're looking at your expenses, but you're not looking at your income. Right now, rents are going through the roof with whatever market you're in, if, especially if you can get a vacant unit or get a tenant out in this market, you can raise your rents significantly. So the comment I was, telling people is, okay, and I broke it down into three kind of phases, short term, medium term, long term, short term, I'm concerned, like be concerned, be very concerned right now that you need to get through this, you need to have cash on hand, either it's cash or credit, you need some access to capital. Um, maybe you have to sell a place, pay off a place, you know, I, I, if I sat down and did a portfolio review, we could really identify. And I guarantee everybody has something on their portfolio that if they have a large portfolio, can get rid of. So short term, I'm concerned. Um, and you should be too. Pay attention. But that's a good thing. You, when you pay attention, you start, you know, you start making changes. On a medium term basis, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful especially with some of the new things that have been announced out here in Ontario with, mm -hmm. with some of the um, density rules, some of, uh, you know, there's still a million and a half uh, homes short in this area and the current government, current coach in place uh, for the government is, is saying that we're going to be bringing in half millions of people per year. So it's going to be backfilled. So I'm optimistic on a medium term and I'm very confident long term. 
like very confident that Canada is that safe haven. Canada is a safe mm -hmm. harbor. In the world market, Canada is seen as that friendly place to mm -hmm. come to. And we have an awful lot of things that the world wants right now. And I just, we just need to, as a business entrepreneur. <laughs> I it, love that side. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly. As a it. business entrepreneur, <laughs> it, it just hurts me to know that we have things that people want to buy and we don't want to sell it. To that was going to be, so that was going to yeah. be my question to you while, while you were saying that, but you, you finished it up. I was like, as an investor in the Alberta market, yeah. doesn't How frustrating. the oh heck out of you that we don't invest in our energy sector? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, here, and I'll give you the analogy and you brought up Connor McDavid earlier. So let's say Canada is a team, Team Canada. Let's well, yeah, go, I know who you're right? saying our coach is, and that's yeah. why I'm already revolting okay. against the coach. Well, sometimes you need to sometimes you need to replace the coach, yeah. but, but we'll, we'll get there. So, so you have um, you have a, a team, Team Canada, and it's made up of all players across different positions. Everybody's got your stay-at-home defenseman, you got your backup goalies, you got your wingers, you got your scorers, and you have a superstar that's out there right now. The analogy I would use is the coach has two options. It is get that superstar to shine and bring everybody else up with that superstar or tell that superstars, why don't you slow down a little bit, Connor? You're making, you're making, you know, Leon Dreisaitl look bad because you're going so fast here. Why don't you just he might slow feel bad down? Too. He might feel bad yes. too. <laughs> yeah, he might hurt his feelings. Yes. Right. So, so we sit there and I go like the Alberta government, they're doing what I would think they're, they're being like a business. If they can't get the product out to Eastern Canada, they're negotiating with Saskatchewan and Manitoba to get a pipeline to the Churchill and send it out through, through Manitoba. They're trying to be proactive to just do to, to the business. And, and when you're especially, you know, we have what the world needs. We have food, fuel, fertilizer, fresh water, forestry, everything, future tech, and family-friendly values, right? We have the, I call the seven Fs that the world requires. And why aren't we as a country, as a team, being a reliable source of affordable, all of that to the world, if not first to our own, to our own, what about to our own people? Like why, to, for Canada to have a housing shortage with as much land we have is it's just beyond me for number one. For Canada to have a food inflation with the heartland that we have, for Canada to have fuel prices higher than anywhere, we're paying $2 and 20 some cents a liter out in BC. Like for just for even our own populace, like what they're doing in Alberta is the Alberta government is sitting there going, okay, let's make money. Let's sell our goods and services to the world that needs it. Well, slow down right there. Yeah. Let's make money. Yes. Let's let's earn more than we spend. They had Russell. A, a slow down. Slow your roll, sir. Okay. Slow your roll. Okay. <laughs> You're telling Connor McDavid to slow down. Yeah. Right? They had a fourteen billion dollar surplus in their budget this past year. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. $3 billion oh. surplus. So what they're doing with their surplus is they're buying down people's heating bills. They re-indexed all the provincial income taxes, which means that people will pay less income tax on a per basis. They're, Shame on them. Yeah. yeah. And they have the lowest tax structure already. How dare they? Right? So, See, I thought, yeah. I thought the, the, so the analogy to wrap up is <laughs> the coach. If I was the oh, coach, we sorry. need to, yeah, he didn't get to the coach. We need to, <laughs> sorry for being political. There's a new coach in the waiting that I sure hope he becomes our coach to get political for a second. And, uh, we need to ride the superstar up and it'll bring everybody up at the same time. The thing that blows me away is that we've, you know, not only have we not invested for ourselves? We take the resources and we sell them to foreign entities. <laughs> and then they take the goods and they process them and then sell them back to us as finished products. Yeah. Like it's like this whole thing is so backwards. And, and on the energy sector, it's, it's hilarious that no one talks about it. Like, you know, people still look at, you know, the, the, the oil in um, Alberta is just this like evil thing. Yep. But, you, but for some reason, no one equates, you know, pumping oil in, in Saudi to putting on a ship and shipping it over to Canada. They think that's like a green, a green process oh, or something. The millions know. of barrels that we import. Well, we is, take, yeah. we, we take our old, some old lumber 
and we ship it over to England. I think you know, was this, were we talking about this or someone else? We ship it over to England in wood pellets mm-hmm. and they burn it. Mm-hmm. as fuel and that's considered green energy. it was like some environment they were getting it was a company that was getting massive positive scores on their esg rating yeah. but it came out they were like a uk company that was cutting down pristine forests in in eastern canada yeah. and turning it all into pellets and burning, burning. well yeah. that's you, you hit the nail on the head is uh, we have to virtue signal that we keep our esg in line under certain yeah. thresholds so that we can go brag to our other other partners I, it, it, out I there. I think it, it's so twofold in Canada because relative to so many other countries, what you said is right. Canada has all these wonderful things. And if you're a, a family in another part of the world, I could see the attractiveness to coming to Canada. But then when you've been here for some time, you can sound negative on the country because you see how easy yep. some of the things are to fix. Nick and I looked at a stat, Russell, the other day that in Ontario per capita, Nick, was it Ontario or Canada data, the, the hospital beds? The hospital beds, beds it was <sighs> broken up. I think we were looking at the Ontario ones. Okay, okay. So don't hold us this. I think it was Ontario. I can't remember. But we spend, out of the 30 countries that they they um, they surveyed, including like Germany and Sweden. All yeah, this, so that would have been, it probably would have been Canada. I guess it was that. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, out of 30, we were 29, wasn't there or something? Yeah, yeah. And we spend the most per capita yeah. on hospital beds and doctors. And on those two categories, we were like 28th and 23rd. And I'm like, how and, can and the we number spend? of beds? Like, yeah, yeah, on number of beds, for we were like 28th i think doctors yeah. per yeah. thousand people was like we were 23rd or something like that i'm like how are we spending the number one amount per capita on healthcare? Yeah. but and we're not getting the fifth place on some of these things we're getting like we're in the 20s yeah like we, what are we doing so anyway yeah it just uh, you know really the just need to get back to basics like you know wants versus needs in many respects right mm-hmm. and we just need to get back to you know affordable housing affordable fuel affordable you know fuel and energy affordable food and a affordable health care, right? Well, so look, sorry, I'm, yeah, go ahead. I, I didn't know. So this goes back to investing. So does it come back to, because you were talking about investing, you're like, well, everyone's looking for $100,000 in three months or mm-hmm. the one year, and you know, so three to five years it should take. And, and I, we agree with you. So does it come back to that it, there's just a sm- such a small segment of the population now that is willing to look long-term and go through short-term sacrifice or short-term inconveniences to fix things for the long-term. Because I know politically, if you run on a platform saying, hey, you know what, we're going to do this in the short-term, short-term pain, long-term gain, it lines up to investors too. Because I think if you're, as as a coach, as a real estate coach, the message of, hey guys, this is going to be successful for you, but it's three to five years down the line, is a much harder sell than, hey guys, you know what, if you buy this property, you can make a hundred thousand bucks maybe in the next six months. Yep. Well, even though the one, one of them is the real and the proper message, is, is that the problem that it just kind of just goes beyond real estate and, and everything else? Well, it, it comes back to most people's expectations. It, it comes down to just managing expectations and and coming down to really just kind of your, your you know, your life, your terms. Right? To steal a, a phrase that I heard popularized uh, somewhere. I can't remember where. <laughs> right. Um, and here's what I tell people is this is the opportunity for everybody to do a gut check in in the marketplace and this is all the people of conversation having one-on-one is we re, we go back to your values your vision your goals and we re, refresh all them and i ask them a simple question is how bad do you want it like seriously how bad do you want it and if the answer hummed and hawed and stuff like that well that's okay like your answer is your answer but if you want this more than oxygen is to life okay we have to go through these cycles this is just part of the process and here's the good news and I'm going to use a movie analogy. You guys familiar with Forrest Gump? Of course. One of my yeah, favorite of movies of all top five for me. There's a scene in there where Lieutenant Dan and, and Forrest Gump are out on the shrimping boat, the Ginny, and they weren't catching any shrimp, right, and stuff. And it was just going there. And all of a sudden, the storm hit. And Lieutenant Dan had a reckoning with 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 oh, this I baker, remember this. and he's up in the yeah, crow's yeah, net. I and Mike, that. Mickey yeah, had his reckoning. Him, I think he tied himself yeah, to the mast, and right? he was. And then after the storm passed, the Jenny was the only boat left on the water. That's and then right. after that, the shrimping got real good. Yeah. So, gang, we gotta we gotta we gotta get it through this short term storm because on the other end of this, there's gonna be a cleansing. There's gonna be a uh, you know pardon the, the graphic term, maybe a flushing of some things. And if you're still standing after this is all said and done, yes, and you agreed. got through it, A, you've got amazing life lessons that you will take for the rest of your life, but you will be one of the only ones standing. And in this business, it was funny, I was chatting with Derek Foster. You would know Derek 
the stock dividend guy. Oh, got so it. We yeah. retired at 34. Years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He said, what other business than other than investing is that as, as you get older, the better you get and more wealth. If we were like professional tennis players or something like that, our, our career would be done at 28, 29, maybe 30. That's true. And yeah. Warren Buffett's 92 and he's better than he probably was when he was in his 50s. So as you learn these lessons, if you've been at 25, 35, 40 years, you just become a better investor over the over the time as long as you don't as long as you don't leak, get kicked out of the game, as long as the yeah. kick to the, you know, where doesn't take you out of the yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, That's a good point. So that person then that was asking you over the weekend about when interest rates were change and stuff, I guess, you know, for, for them, did you ultimately boil that conversation down to that? Just survive? Well, like I, I said in the short term, the interest rates are going to do what they're going to do. They're probably going to go up again. I personally, and I'm on record, um, this past summer that I made a prediction of a couple things that are probably going to happen just based upon what I've seen. And so far I've been wrong, but I'm sticking to my prediction. Um, prediction number one is I believe that rates are probably going to start coming down 2020, mid 2023 mm -hmm. and beyond, like start coming down again because they can't keep going. The largest debtor in this country is the government and how, how can they keep affording to make the payments too is one. Um, the other one is too is right now on a lot of um, variable rates. There's no discounts, and during times when the rates went up, I seen that they were coming out with big giant discounts off Prime. I'm gonna. I, I believe that they're gonna start having those again coming back. So it's a way that they can, without lowering the Prime, actually lower the effective interest rate, and you're gonna start seeing um, longer amortizations. You know, 40 years, 50 years, stuff like that. You're going to start seeing those. So you need to be able to manage your cash flow for probably a year to 18 months. And I believe that the rates will start coming down. If not, that new products will come on board to make more for like you can't. And, and you guys would know the stat better than I do. And I think I probably heard it from you guys is it's almost like like a ridiculous 40 or 50% of the Canadian economy is revolving around housing, mm -hmm. like renovations, realtors, yeah, lawyers. I, it's not coming to mind right now, yeah. but we know that's that you're right. Yes. Like it's, it's ben, I think Ben talks about that a number of times. Yeah. yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And you can't have an entire industry of the mortgage industry. That's literally is not writing underwriting anything. Realtors are having a hard time doing any transactions, the renovations and stuff like that. You can't have one of your sectors, um, pulverized pulverized <laughs> and it's almost like a game of chicken totally we right? call it we're calling it a game of bluff yeah it's like same. the government's trying to yeah so yeah and yeah. so it's like who's going to yeah. blink first yeah. <laughs> and it's spilling over into construction which is obviously a huge yeah. one because with construction with with where they are a lot of projects are being shelved and you're seeing the pressures off of well, trades we, already we, we we are hearing from some of the general contractors that some of the subs on commercial business are now saying hey i'm not going to you know, I'm not going to work on your project unless you pay me up front for at least my material and stuff. In the commercial world, you do everything on terms. Yep. So the general contractor is like, well, we don't get, you know, we invoice in stages. We don't even have the money until at least we're 30% through this. There's no way we can fund you yep. to start the job. So the subs are coming back and saying, well, my credit line on my, you know, that I'm running for this business isn't at the interest rate. It's on it so high. I'm not taking your job yep. unless you do this. So the construction industry all of a sudden is just grinding to this halt because yep. everyone's staring at each other, pointing fingers saying, you pay me, no, you pay me. So the unintended or second order effects of just raising interest rates yep. are we have construction, which is badly needed in all levels here in yep. this country, starting to just seize up. Yep. And it's like, you know, who is even paying attention to that? And then Russell, my, my personal fear is, cause I think I'm with you on that 18 month, that, that window seems about right to me. My personal fear and something we talk a lot about here is that once the psychology of a country is like, well, I'm just going to wait cause prices are going to be lower tomorrow. Yep. Once that runs through a population, it is very, very difficult yep. to reverse that type of thinking. It's so the wealth effect, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when people when people think, ah, this might just rebound in thirty days when they cut rates, I'm like, ah, I think it's going to take a little bit longer. Yep. So if they start changing rates in 2023, it's going to be a, a longer point of extraction to get people back to spending money. But and, and we do agree with your amortization thing. I've never thought of the discount on variable. 
that's a great way. That's a really interesting. I, point. I've seen I've seen that happen during. I bought a lot of properties when, it, when Prime was in the six range, and we were getting Prime minus one and a half off. That's and, a really yeah, interesting like thing. That. that that's a nice little thing they can kind of sneakily use to keep rates high, but then kind of kind of. Yeah, they can Feed they the, can rattle the saber of yeah. be careful, but oh by the way, we'll give you a yes. Discount. Here's some cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, raise it really high, but look over here. The amortization thing. We're convinced that on the next election cycle, you know, the it'll likely be the liberal government. I would imagine saying, hey, to help the first time home buyer, we're going to extend amortizations, and they won't call it extending amortizations. They'll just call it like they have the first time home buyer affordability plan. Behind the scenes, you're in debt for 100 million years because it happens to that. And I don't. I I honestly. Don't don't know why um, one of the big things is we everybody wants affordable housing okay so in order to take the risk to build affordable housing the, the developer and the builders they need to make profit it's not a four-letter word profits not a four-letter word so why aren't why aren't they giving really juicy terms or lower interest rates or something to a developer to maintain their margins a developer would love to be able to provide affordable housing but I can't afford to build an affordable housing unit unless I get some subsidies or I get a better terms or I get interest free mm -hmm. for a little bit or something, right? It just shows the challenges of, of, of trying to manipulate a country with one monetary policy. Yep. Like for so long, you know, for a long period of time, maybe it made sense to continue to have low rates in Alberta. Yep. For example, there was a depressed market for a long period of time and prices hadn't been coming up and you were looking to attract capital and attract labor force there and that type of stuff. But in, the, in, in an area like Toronto, or Vancouver, we didn't need them. No. You know, like they were they were too long for too it was, long. It, it was, was gasoline. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a problem. Like you know, so so you're right. You don't there, think there price is going to go higher? Watch this. We'll drop <laughs> rates even more. Yeah. Well, one of the things is, and one of the things I'm just I'm I'm very mindful and I'm paying attention, and I haven't seen it yet, especially out here in Ontario. I would be a little bit more bearish if I was starting to see a whole bunch of listings come on the market, right. and if the market was starting to be flooded with listings, then I would be gang. Let's pay attention to this but right now so it's Toronto, prices are Toronto's, always yeah we're two and a half months of yeah single prices are always sticky on the way down so there's a whole bunch of people that had their property probably for sale and they say oh well i'm not going to get that ridiculous price i'll just pull it off and we'll just sit, we'll sit tight for a bit um the listing inventories are not growing that's one of the things i saw at alberta at the time when it started turning mm -hmm. properties were being put on the inventory was growing and all that kind of stuff so just be mindful of your your supply and your demand in your areas and that's why i'm hopeful and confident out here in Ontario in the market is there's backstops to it mm -hmm. for the population, the shortage yeah, of housing yeah. and, and, you know, people need to still live. In, yeah. Well, there work. is an actual yeah. need for, yeah. for housing. It wasn't just a want. You're right. And, and, and uh, for anyone listening, I guess what Russ was saying is that that part, that's a key indicator for us, like months of inventory, which we're sitting on condo market in Toronto is like three and a half months, single family homes, like two and a half months. That's still low inventory. Yeah. It's not until you get to like six months or higher yeah. that it really starts changing the pricing mechanisms in the market. Well, the one thing that I am paying attention to, and it's just because of conversations I've been having with people, is um, what I call the speculator pre-sale condo buyers mm -hmm. that bought a place for 800 thinking they're going to flip it on assignment for a million when it closes. And I think there's more out there than, mm -hmm. than we know. I had a conversation with a person that had four of them and her plan was to buy one and they were staggered four over the time. She had a big giant deposit on each of them. She was going to flip the one and take the one from the other and then just keep rolling it in. And she, she could not, she would not be able to sell her first one for what she has a contract on it for. Yeah, I think I think you're right, 100. percent Especially in the condo market, and we saw that in um, I I even remember that in the I guess late 80s, early 90s when they were in that crash. Um, I specifically remember around square one because when I started looking for properties, I, whenever I was 20 or something, I started looking at the condo prices there, and I looked back on them and I'm like, wow, these things really. That's that's the segment of the market that time, and there was more overbuilding at that time too. But a lot of these things are have been gobbled up by people that with not too much intention to close yep. or maybe they were okay closing for a period of time but they don't have the ability to close yep. now because of the new cost so that I, I agree is going to be interesting well, then, and then even you, if you dive deeper into it and so then the conversation is oh, oh dear are you able to close well if I did it would be probably another $3,000 negative cash mm -hmm. or, or I've just made that number up on top of if they already had a portfolio that was been squeezed all of a sudden now you add this, this yep. another albatross an yep. alligator around your neck something's got to give 
Like, yeah, like, I, th- I think if we see when we see it, when or if we see weakness with inventory, I think it yep. comes. I, I I think that's going to be a driver from the condo market first for sure, just because the the numbers are yeah. there. And it's something to just pay attention. It could that could be the canary in the coal mine mm-hmm. to just be very mindful of. So far, not seeing it, but I, I'm you know just be be vigilant is what I would say. Uh, Russell, you're gonna uh, you're gonna be around this earth for many more years, yes. decades. <laughs> what uh, what do you think you want? when you reflect back on your life what do you want people to think about do you feel right now and i know that Mm. can change so let's say you're 92 years old reflecting back on your life what what do you think hey can you turn up the volume there sonny what do you what do you want people to say about russell westcott what comes to mind oh well great question um oh so I'm going to tie it, let's, let's do a bookend here. Let's tie it around r- to my original story with at age 30, uh, getting some counsel from Oprah and, uh, <laughs> and uh, deciding to take things to the next level. So I, I just recently in 2020 had my 50th birthday, another birthday that ends in a zero and reflected back upon things. And I'm going, I go, what have I done? I've okay. I've done a lot, done that. And I've left a lot on the table that there's, I have more to do. I have more to give. And at that time it was late November. It was right around this time, um, in 2020. And I wrote down a goal It scared the crap out of me and I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but I'm committed to doing it. And the goal I said was I'm going to help 1 million people, 1 million real estate investors with the tools and resources to help them buy one more property. Then it's an example and an exercise I get people to walk through is what is one more property worth to you? Like if somebody said, tell me your last property you bought, bought it for 400,000, here's the rent. And then I walk it through, let's say 15 years, you had it free and clear and it went and it didn't go up in value. You have a $400,000 asset that probably generates, you know, $4,000 in net income to you. So one property is worth 400,000 and 4,000 times 12 is almost 50 grand. Right. So one more property to you is is worth four hundred thousand and fifty grand. Would you like to have a tool and resource to help you buy one more? And that's my goal is to help that level and help that many people with tools and resources to just buy one more place. Very cool. And that 50 yeah. grand in 15 years might not be able to buy you much, but. Well, it'll be inflation protected. <laughs> yeah. It'll yeah. be inflation protected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if it's, if it's attached to the rent, you know, you'll get your, you'll get your one and 1.7%. Okay. So then I got, here. I got one more for you then, Russell. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we often say, Hey, you're never going to time the market, get in, you know, look at the numbers, income and stop talking to me about the price. What's yep. the income? What are my carrying costs? My risk is the interest rate. Let's analyze the global macro economy to see yep. if we can control that. What are my income and what are my expenses? And then hang on for dear life because because it's going to be a ride. It's not going to be straight up. It is going to be a ride. I think now people are starting to understand that. When someone hears your message today, what what could you tell them to say, get started today? And this isn't coming from like yep. a sales point of view, I, yep. I, you know, but like, because right now people might say, oh, Russell, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to hold off. You know, what, what would, what would be something yep. Would, or, or would it, or, or sorry, or, or would it be, yeah, hold off for a little bit. What would you tell someone today about getting that one yeah. first property or one more property? So, so I'm going to tell a story and the succinctly answer it, I'm going to say is I would suggest get some help from somebody who's been through this. Don't go alone. Like that's one of the biggest mistakes I made too is hiding, you know, going alone. I know better. Oh, and really? Not, yeah. not, it was one of the mistakes I made early too was, um, I went to events all over the country. I learned from Dan Kennedy's and Ron Legrand's. I kept learning and then all of a sudden I became the known person on stage and I, I stopped doing what was got me my success. Ah, so lean more into your coaching, lean more into your training, lean more into your learning. Mm, super valuable. So that's the first thing I'd say. And then the story I'm gonna share is, um, make sure the assets that you're buying, and I'll tell it with a story of a, a client of mine in Calgary. He's buying a flip project in Calgary and he, I can't remember what he paid for it, but he got it on a decent price through a wholesaler. He took four weeks to, he took some time off work and he did his own work. He, his fiance borrowed the money and they used her as the private money, paid her the private money fee, has the realtor. And he got an offer within the first weekend. He's going to make about 20 or 30 grand, give or take after, after it's all said and done, but he did it for the experience, but I wouldn't let him do it unless he had two backup plans if that flipped in work. So backup plan number one is 
if you can't do it, can you refinance it and get a tier one lender on it? And can you then rent it out and still cash flow if you need to wait a few more months and even a year or two? And he said, absolutely. And then the backup plan after that is, would you guys want to move into it? And they say, absolutely, we would definitely move in. So they had two backup plans. And then so he got into it with the right intention. He did it for the experience and he had two backup plans. And then after that, I gave him the blessing and I said, <laughs> you know, go forth. There, there are opportunities out there all the time. And no matter whatever the market conditions are, whether it's recession, rapid growth, there's always a market to add value. If you're adding value to the system, adding value to the chain, you are recession proof. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Great, uh, yeah. great stuff. So Russell, where can people find more about you? What are you up to? Tell us. Well, the simplest way, the, the hub of everything is russellwestcott.com. And I often make the joke when you type into Google and you start typing Russell West, usually Russell Westbrook comes up first. Oh. I'm not him. Oh, really? And when you do find that, you'll you'll get the joke. He's, I, a, he's a big, giant basketball player. Yeah. Oh, oh, that Westbrook. <laughs> you got yeah. it. Got it. So russellwestcott.com, that's where everything revolves around. I, I have a podcast. I enjoy my YouTube channel and just try and take a page out of the Rockstar book of yeah, what yeah, you guys yeah. do. You guys are trailblazers and just trying to just trying no, to keep not up. A, no, yeah, thank you for that. And I, I just want to say that it's really cool having, you know, more. And, uh, you, you've been doing this for so long, but you're you're sharing good information. You're kind of doing it from, um, you know, your experience. And I appreciate that just being as someone living in this area, knowing that there's others out there that are trying to have each other's back and help people and guide them. I just think that I get the benefits of what you're doing on a secondhand basis because you're helping people. And if you help someone's lives, they go into the economy and help someone else. And then maybe I bump into that person and they're in a good mood and it trickles all the way back to what yep. you did with them. And I know that sounds crazy, but I just feel if there's a lot of us out there helping people as much as we can, um, admitting that we don't have all the answers, but doing our best yep. to try, it really makes a great kind of community. So yeah. and, and to, to the easiest way, and somebody asked me once, well, how are you gonna do that million goal that I talked about? Well, the simplest way is actually is, to train one person at a time and then hopefully all the people you train and inspire they then go exponentially help other people yeah. at the same time that's the way you do it russell keep going yep. keep thank going you, we'll thank have you, you back we'll have updates yeah. we'll get updates for you thank you for that yeah so thank you appreciate it hey everyone hopefully you enjoyed that chat with russell you can learn more about russell and what he's up to right now by visiting his web website russellwescott.com and if you are listening to this and you don't have the Your Life, Your Terms app yet, you can search for Your Life, Your Terms wherever you're downloading apps, find the app, throw it on your phone. You can get access to some of the virtual classes that we put out there. If you're a Rockstar Inner Circle member, log in. You'll get all those virtual classes loading up. Those are classes that we've done in addition to the 20 some odd classes that we do live on a recurring basis that Rockstar Inner Circle members get. So all those virtual classes now are on the app if you're a Rockstar Inner Circle member. And if you're not a Rockstar Inner Circle member, there's a whole bunch of content for you as well. When you open the app, you'll see it all laid out for you there. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.